fill this real quick. Excuse me while I set up. And the good news is, last service, I forgot uh, to get my water, and I remembered it this time. The bad news is I kicked it over a minute ago. So if anybody wants to give me a water, that would be awesome. Yeah, okay, thanks. You, know, you guys will have to excuse me if I periodically just stick my head in the, in the trough. <laughs> I mean, our baptistry, that's what I meant to say. Uh, okay, yeah, today is actually the uh, last day in a series uh, that we've been doing on big church and little church. Uh, Adam has spent three weeks previous to today uh, talking about those, and then I'm, I'm wrapping the series up today. And uh, if you haven't been able to catch uh, those messages, I really encourage you to hit the audio archive. They're really good. Adam does such a good job. Uh, you, you know, certainly hears from the Lord and... and uh, just, just some really rich stuff talking about, particularly uh, the big church, uh, just the brilliance of it. I mean, this amazing combination of people and gifts and things rep- represented just, just in this room, for example. This is just one example. Uh, and how we all really need each other. And uh, I'm not going to do... A- <laughs> You're hilarious. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. I am very thirsty, so... I'm going to make it my go. Okay, that's good. <laughs> I am going to make it my goal to get through all four of those by the end of the service. Um, yeah, but Adam's just really done a really good job setting the, setting the table. And uh, today I'm really going to focus particularly on the value of the small church uh, setting. We call them community groups here. Uh, but I'll, I'll call them a lot of different things uh, throughout the course of the morning, small groups, community groups, small church. Uh, but I'm basically, all that means the same thing uh, in, today's, in today's context. Um, and really what I want to get at is that this is not just one of many options that we're throwing out to you. You know, it's a decent option or it's even a good option. But what we really want to try and hammer in is just how incredibly valuable a meeting in the smaller group settings can be to you as a follower of Jesus. Um, And we've got uh, several scriptures today. Uh, There's one that I want to start off with. Uh, Adam really pulled a lot out of this uh, passage. Uh, It may have been last week or the week, maybe the week prior, but um, this is just sort of a a launching off point for us today. Uh, So we we won't be in this passage all morning, but in Acts 2, uh, 42, uh, we see that uh, they devoted themselves Uh, talking about the church, Uh, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to to fellowship, uh, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers, okay? So those are kind of the four big pillars of the church in the the early going uh, that that we see when the church is beginning. They devoted themselves to the teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayers. And we can get a lot of that here in the big group setting, but a lot of that really lends itself to more intimate encounters, particularly, you know, fellowship and breaking of bread. Um, we do, for a practical example, we do uh, four, I'm sorry, two church-wide meals a year. Uh, we do one big church potluck at the lake, and then we do our Christmas uh, talent show, and it takes us about six months to recover. And that's why we only do it a couple times a year. Uh, it's a big deal when you're trying to get, you know, three, you know, 300 people together for a meal. But there's something, you know, about meeting in a smaller setting where that's just kind of part of life, you know, whether it's, you know, you sit down and you have some snacks together at your small group or you actually have a meal together. 
Uh, there's just something really valuable, and the early church, I think, really understood that. There's just something about sitting down at the table and breaking bread together and, uh, and having you know, fellowship together. And so uh, the early church uh, spent a lot of time in smaller you know, communities. Uh, we see also in uh, Romans 16.5, this is just one of many examples, letters in the gospel uh, that would often start off with some sort of greeting like this. Greet also the church in their house. Uh, greet my beloved Epinetus. Who knows? Uh, who was the first convert uh, to Christ in Asia. And we just see, we see statements like that just repeated uh, throughout the New Testament. Greet them in their church, in their house. Uh, we didn't actually, in Christianity, we didn't actually start to see, you know, big buildings devoted to, you know, the large gatherings until a couple hundred years later, actually. And so that's really in the DNA of the Christian church. Small groups meeting together, people's homes are in small, uh, smaller gathering types of, uh, of places. So clearly, we're fine. We actually appreciate big church. We love big church. There's something about, you know, 200 voices or 1,000 voices all joined together worshiping in unity and harmony and singing. That's awesome. Uh, there's something about that communal experience where, you know, everybody's, you know, listening to whoever's teaching and we're receiving it at the same time. And, you know, sometimes ministry can just be amazing after church. And all that's great. And so nothing I'm saying today is to take away from the value of big church. We just really want to spend some time this morning emphasizing how important the smaller group settings can be. Why is it so important? How many of you are interested in growing closer to Jesus? Trick question. No, it's not a trick question. It's pretty, pretty straightforward. Uh, yeah, most of us would say yes, right? You're a Christian? Yeah, it's part of the goal. Grow closer to Jesus. Um, there's something about the small group setting that can really help facilitate growing closer to the Lord. You know, part of learning, for example, uh, learning about someone or getting to know someone or whatever is asking questions, right? And it's, very, it's a very rare occasion when we're in a large group setting where someone's going to stick their hand up and say, wait a minute, Pastor, I don't understand. I don't, or I don't agree. Or could you explain that? Um, that's not an insignificant detail. You know, part of learning, part of growing is being able to wrestle with things and being able to, uh, to ask questions. And people just aren't going to do that in a very public setting. Um, I, I know I've shared this before, uh, but I just I think it's so funny. Uh, there's been surveys where, you know, people were asked, you know, what's your biggest fear? And number one is public speaking. Overall, no, the number one fear uh, is public speaking, and second is death. <laughs> so let's sink in for a minute. I think by and large, people tend to be a little afraid of death. So what does that say about public speaking? People don't like to speak in public. Uh, it's kind of the exception. If, you know, if you're really, really comfortable getting up in front of a crowd and talking, uh, you're in the minority. Most people just don't really like to do that. Um, and so it's a big deal. You know, you're not going to engage in this. Most people aren't going to engage in this kind of setting trying to you know, get questions and say, can you repeat that? And can, there's just too many obstacles, you know. Uh, but in a small group setting, you know, when you're talking about 10, 15 or, or 20 people, then it's just not that big a deal to say, wait a minute. I, I don't understand. Can you repeat that? Well, I was taught this. Um, what about this passage? How do they relate? You know, to, to really get in there and start dissecting things. Uh, again, it seems really simple, but it's actually a big deal. 
People don't like to speak in public about anything, much less matters of the heart, matters of personal weakness, uh, spirituality, things that are intensely personal. You're just not going to spill that for the most part in this kind of a setting. But in a small group setting, that can really be you know, facilitated and encouraged. Really, what we're getting at is this small group provides a safe environment. That's the key word, safe. It provides a safe environment. It provides an environment where you can feel free to, to do those things and to ask questions and to even make yourself a little bit vulnerable, right? And that is a really big deal. Um, today's message, for me anyway, and, and for the way that I usually like to, to teach, is going to be a little bit odd. I'm going to spend a little more time actually sharing uh, other people's uh, testimonies about this. Uh, while I was preparing, I thought, oh, it would be interesting to see uh, what some of the people in our church have to say about small groups and some of their experiences. And as I was reading through them all, uh, a lot of people responded. Uh, they were just really great stories. And I just really felt the Lord on a lot of these stories. And I thought, I'm just going to have to really carve out a lot of time uh, in my message today to share some of these things because they're just so good. So um, we're talking about growth. Excuse me, i got to get started. Got a lot to get through. Um, <laughs> um, we're talking about growth. And so Lori Rogers, are you still in the house? She was at the early service. She's in the nursery. Thank you, Lori, for watching our children. Um, she shared this story. She said, I was in my very first group uh, where Sammy, uh, Sammy Yoder, who's on the keyboards, it's Dr. Samuel Yoder now, chiropractor. Uh, But she says she was in this group where Sammy talked on the Lord's Supper. It truly rocked my religious mindset uh, on the Lord's Supper. I remember as a small girl feeling guilty for taking two pieces of crackers when the plate was passed. And here Sammy was digging into multiple pieces of bread as we talked on what the Lord's Supper is really about. LOL. (laughs) Means laughed out loud. I'm not sure. Uh, thank you, Jesus, for uh, for the grace he has for his kids. So here Lori is, and she has a, you know has a particular background and a particular viewpoint on the Lord's Supper, and it was completely challenged in this small group setting. And it was a it was a safe atmosphere where she was really able to, well, I guess literally digest. That's not what I'm. That's not that wasn't a planned joke. My planned jokes are much better. Um, but yeah, it's just. Uh, it, it really challenged her, and she was able to come to a really completely new understanding in, in this setting, you know, where she was able to be uh, vulnerable and have something, a long-held opinion about something, completely challenged, and, and she was able to re- uh, receive some new revelation from the Lord, which may have been a little bit harder to receive in a larger setting. Uh, so that's a, that's a good example. You see, one of the things is it's just easier to develop trust in a smaller group, Right? Um, it's easy in a large group setting to come in and just see a bunch of faces, right? And so you, you just you don't know what kind of crazy people are in the room <laughs> when you look across here. And I know some of you, and some of you are pretty crazy. Uh, but no, when you come into you come into the church and you, you just see a bunch of faces, you don't know the, these people. Uh, you know, I understand that for some people, giving trust comes easily, and for some other people, it it's a little bit more difficult just to come in and freely give your trust to everybody you see, you know? Uh, so it's hard to kind of just give that out 
in this kind of a setting, but in a smaller group setting, when you actually have a chance to get to know people, even if they don't become your very best, dearest friends, you might still be able to see, okay, maybe we're not best friends, but this person's worthy of my trust, and maybe I can be a little bit vulnerable here. You know, maybe I can be just a little bit honest. Maybe I can ask questions. Maybe I can uh, be real uh, with this small group of people. And so it's easier to develop trust in a smaller group situation. Uh, Mike Ostrander, lovely Mike. Hey, Mike. Uh, this, is, this is a great story. He says, my favorite small group was actually my first small group at a vineyard church uh, where I met the Lord. This wasn't even our vineyard. This was a different vineyard. Uh, it was a men's group. Uh, this group was especially awesome because it was a safe place to not only encounter God, but to also get cleaned up. <laughs> and so uh, what Mike's saying there is that he was able to actually deal with things that you know, he's struggling with. And it was a safe environment where you can just kind of be real with the people in, in the room. And that's a big deal. There were guys from all different walks with Jesus, some just starting out like myself and others who were very acquainted with the Holy Spirit. The group was a place for everyone to practice and use their spiritual gifts. I learned to prophesy and pray for healing in this group. And so here you have this group where people are all, you know, kind of different parts of the spectrum. People have been walking with the Lord for a long time and people that were kind of new in the faith. But the main thing was is that it was a safe environment for everyone, right? Uh, Where there was this lack of judgment. And that's a big deal. Because when you come into a room like this, and I can, you know, I can relate to this, and I think probably most of us have, You've been in a big church setting, and the pastor or the speaker gave you know, an incredible you know, uh, message, and the Lord was on it, and you felt like you really wanted to respond to the, to the ministry time afterwards. You know, hey, if you need to you know, forgive someone, or you, you, know, you, you need this or that or whatever, come on up and receive ministry. And most of us have probably been in a situation where we wanted to respond, but the fear of man and the fear of judgment prohibited you. Because, again, faces in the crowd. You don't know what people are going to think. Yeah, I'm just going up for this, but what if they think I'm going up for something worse? You know, there's all kinds of thoughts, you know, that can come in, come in your mind, you know. Um, and, again, I can relate to that. Uh, there have literally been times where I've been out there and thought, oh, yeah, I could use some prayer for that. Oh, but I'm on staff. People are going to look up there and think, oh, man, he doesn't have it together. Those are the kinds of things that we all think about. What are people going to think? But in the smaller group setting, it's actually easier I'll say easier because not, it's not necessarily absent. You can always have to wrestle a little bit with the fear, you know, fear of man or whatever. Uh, but when you actually get to know people, you can start to see, okay, they're actually not against me. They're not out to judge me. And it's just easier to get to that place when you're in a smaller setting, when they're not just faces in the crowd. And that is a big deal. I'm going to say that a lot today. But it is. It's a big deal. Um, so, yeah, being in a small group helps remove the fear of judgment and the fear of man when you actually start to get to know people. Uh, look at, look at um, this example of actually how Jesus uh, lived. In Mark 4, uh, starting with verse 1, again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd, had gathered around, the, the crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge, and he taught them many things by parables. All right, I'm not actually getting into this specific parable. This is what I want you to see. In verse 10, skip down a little bit. 
When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables. You know, there's a certain degree of, you know, like teaching and, and revelation you can get in a large group setting. But there's just times where you need to dig in and to ask questions and to go deeper. And it's hard to do here. When you get in a smaller group, you can do that. You can go deeper, even deeper. You can go pretty deep here, but you can go even deeper when you're in with a, you know, a smaller circle of people that you trust. And if you look at the life of Jesus, you see he did a lot of ministry to the masses but then he also spent a lot of time with the 12. And then he also spent time with like the three, you know, this three uh, inner circle, inner circle of trust, right? Um, but there's just something really valuable about having those moments where you can just kind of get in tighter together and really wrestle with things and ask questions and be in that safe environment where you're not worried about looking stupid and you're not worried about asking the wrong questions or saying the wrong things or or, or judgment, or any of those things. And that's one of the things that a, small, uh, a smaller group uh, can do for you. Uh, here's another good story. This is uh, Dr. Summer Tucker. <laughs> she says, are they in the house today? No, okay. Um, I remember being newlyweds and going to a small group led by Dr. Samuel Yoder. Yeah, he appears in like several of these stories. I had always been a preacher's kid and very involved in church, but this was the w- one of the first times I learned how to experience Jesus in my daily life. It was also a safe place to practice getting and uh, giving prophetic words. Uh, we all taught as well as received during the group. The best part, and you're going to hear this word again, the best part was the safety of being able to mess up. If someone gave a word that wasn't right, uh, it was comfortable to make a teaching point out of it. There was no awkwardness because we had all grown together as friends in a community. And so there was a stigma removed from the, the idea of I have to get it right every time, you know. Like right now, I really want to get it right. I don't want to misspeak. I don't want to say the wrong thing. I certainly don't want to uh, get my, you know, take Scripture out of context. These are big deals. I don't want to do any of that, Right especially in this big setting, for one reason, chances are if somebody catches me making a mistake, they're not going to say, hey, actually, wait a minute. Um, I think you took that out of context. or you know, that, that just doesn't really happen in the big setting. But in a smaller group setting, you have this, uh, this atmosphere where people can, can take risks and you can work out things and you can talk through disagreements and you can say, you know, in, in a good way, challenge each other a little bit and say, well, I'm not sure that's what that means. And you can talk it out. And if you make a mistake, you can make a teaching point out of it. And so that's a really cool thing uh, about being in these uh, smaller communities where you feel the freedom to do this. Uh, There's something else you need to know about growth. Growth isn't comfortable. Uh, Parents in the room. Let me see. Parents uh, who have had teenagers. Parents who have had kids that have made it through their teenage years. A few of you in the room? All right. Um, and I know this happens a little bit differently with each kids, but did, did any of you have kids that like hit a dramatic growth spurt in a short amount of time, like, you know, six inches in one day, right? Yeah, Grant. Hey, here's exhibit A, right? Um, it can actually be painful, right? When you grow like really fast, 
It can actually be painful. Uh, children, small children, when they're teething, it's painful. It hurts. But it's good because it's a sign that they're growing. That's, that's a good thing. Growth often is painful. And if it's not painful, then it's usually at the very least uncomfortable. It's stretching you. Growth re- requires taking, uh, taking risks. It, re- it requires being stretched. And so it's usually uncomfortable. And so one of the things that, that frustrates me sometimes with the church at, at large is that we feel like we have to make things harder on ourselves. There's difficulty built in. We like to say there's, uh, there's you know, hardship and difficulty built in to the matrix. That's what we say around here. It's just built in. You don't have to go looking for it. It's challenging enough as it is. So sometimes we have this kind of fatalistic attitude. But one of the things about small groups that I like is that it's actually an opportunity to make something that's already uncomfortable and at times painful and make it less so. Because you can get in this smaller environment where you have support and you have encouragement and you can wrestle with these things and you can take risks, but it's safer. We actually have an opportunity to grow. But, let, but yet do it in a way that's less painful because of the small community that you can have around you. And it's really good. So let me challenge you with this. If you have just uh, been living in extended season after season after season where you're not experiencing some kind of pain or some kind of discomfort or being stretched or taking risks, and chances are you aren't really growing because growth means all those things. Does that make sense? But the good news is, is that it doesn't have to be as hard. You can surround yourself with a group of people that can help walk you through those things. Uh, Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says this. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so that's one of the main things we're supposed to do together is to stir each other up to love and to do good things, challenge each other, help each other, encourage each other. And sometimes it's just hard to do that in the big group setting. How much stirring up of each other are we doing today? Uh, you know, I'm, you may have you know, several conversations, but how real, you know, how in-depth are we really getting with each other's lives in just the short you know, segmented conversations we can have before and after big church? hard i'm not saying it never happens but it's it's a challenge it's easier in a small group cool all right uh here's another good one to that to that point eric Hurchin. uh he was in on the ground floor of the vineyard here in campbellsville lives in charlotte now and he is just all kinds of awesome he's a good friend of ours uh, and this is what he says <laughs> this is this is a big statement Sometimes I feel like everything I know about living, I learned in the first couple of years I went to small groups at the vineyard. That's a big statement. Everything he learned about living, period. I was a very immature 23-year-old who had just gotten married and I needed serious help in every way possible. But as is the case with the vineyard, I remember going from wondering if God was even real to leading small groups pretty quickly. <laughs> so jumped right in there. We jumped in with both feet, and I remember doing like small groups in maybe two years, and there were some hilarious moments. Whoever thought that early 20-something should be leading small groups was probably crazy. Or Ray Hollenbach, that's what he says. 
Of course, there were complete train wreck moments, but I think there were way more beautiful God moments. And so many of us matured through the process, had experiences with the Spirit, and learned how to stay in one place longer than a couple of months. I mean, that's just a really practical thing. But part of that, they learned just from being with a group of people, a small community. So these, you know, spiritual challenging things and then just life things, learning how to do life. I have so many good, funny memories, too many to share. Really, one of my favorite and most lasting experiences was the year that Amanda and I led a small group with Grant and Alicia Dawson. The four of us couldn't be more different in so many ways. Uh, And that's true. If you know them, that's true. Uh, But that's what made it so good, uh, I think. God came in and brought us together in such a good way. Uh, and let me speak about this particular group. I remember this group. That was actually the group that uh, connected me here. I, li- I had lived in Campbellsville for about a year and a half and had been coming here some, and there was a church in town that reminded me quite a bit like the church where I grew up, and I didn't come from a, a similar background to the vineyard. It was very different. And so I'd found a church that you know was very familiar, and then I'd found the vineyard, and I'd started to make a couple friends here. But it was when I started going to this group that I really started feeling grafted into the community and to the family. Um, And so I definitely have a really soft spot in my heart for small groups because it really changed my life, literally changed my life. Uh, I really believe that, you know, had I not gotten connected in that small group and I probably would have landed in the other place and then my relationship with Sarah probably wouldn't have evolved, my wife. No Bo and Marin, those are my two daughters. That's kind of a big deal to me. So being in that small group enabled me to land someone way over my head. So I'm just saying. <laughs> Mike, too. Mike and Megan met at a home group, right? See, there you go. Single people, I'm just saying. <laughs> There's worse places you can try and meet somebody. <laughs> but, yeah, that's a, that's a big, big deal. Uh, so speaking of that, uh, home groups really fits, can help facilitate friendships. They can help facilitate making friends, not just you know growing just as a believer, but actually making friendships. Hello, hello, check. Okay, we're good. Um, now I know a lot of us, for example, we can come here to the big room, and there's I don't know 150 people. I don't know how many's in the room, um, but there's a lot of people in here right now. But for a lot of us, we can be in this room full of people and still feel terribly alone. Right? You can be in a room full of crowded people and still feel terribly alone. Because for a lot of us, we're not just comfortable going up and engaging people, right? Especially if you're new, right? But even for some of us who have been around a long time, you still don't really feel comfortable wading through the crowds here and in the cafe or wherever people are hanging out and just going in and saying, hey, I'm so-and-so. Tell me about your life. You know, a lot of people just aren't comfortable doing that. Some people are, but most people really aren't. And so a lot of people can be in a room like this full of people and feel terribly alone. And then there's other people that actually prefer it that way. (laughs) You kind of prefer to come to church and just kind of hang towards the back, and you don't really want to engage. And so my statement to both of you is that small groups can really help. They can really help. They can really benefit you. For those of you that are feeling lonely, you can find community in a community group. That's why we named it community groups. You can find that there. 
uh, because it's it really is easy for any one of us to come in here and just kind of go unnoticed. It just is. I wish it wasn't that way, but I think that's just kind of a fact of life. You get a lot of people in the room, and it's easy to be unnoticed. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you or even wrong with everybody else in the room. It's just the way it is when there's a lot of people around. But when you're in a room full of 10, 15, 20 people, you're probably not going to go unnoticed. And so a community group could be the very thing you need to actually get connected to other people. And for those of you that actually prefer not to be connected, then I really encourage you. Because <laughs> it will challenge you. And in a good way, it will challenge you. Uh, it's good to open yourself up a little bit. Um, and this is kind of the Adam's, one of the points Adam made a few weeks ago, talking about the brilliance of the church. You just don't know what you're missing. I mean, there's so many different people here with different things to offer. And you just sometimes really don't get a picture of that when you're here in the big meeting. You don't really get to know Chuck right here. This is Chuck. Chuck's awesome. And a lot of you don't know that. Everybody needs to know how awesome Chuck is. If you're in a small group with Chuck, you'll probably get to know how awesome Chuck is. What group are you in, Chuck? Wednesday night? Okay, there's a few spots left. So anyone that wants to get to know Chuck, you need to sign up for financial peace. <laughs> No, but I'm serious. You don't know what you're missing. You don't know what the other people in the room have to give. And so I really encourage you to just don't stand on the sidelines. You'll get in there. Um, community is really important. We say this all the time around here. You know, uh, Christianity, there, there's just no, there's no lone rangers in the kingdom. We say this all the time. We're really meant to do all this together. And so it's just easier to connect uh, when you get into smaller settings. Uh, I'm going to read Emily's story. This is really sweet. Emily Snyder, where are you at? In the back. Hey, Emily. All right, for me, I didn't appreciate the small groups that Dusty and I got plugged into when we were first married until we moved away. The church uh, where we worked had no real semblance to small groups at all, and plus being that the average age of the congregation was, I'll just say, much older. It was much older than, than you guys. Uh, it was already incredibly difficult for us to make meaningful community. So not having small groups to take part in really widened that gap. What I learned from that experience is that small groups will always spring up kind of like a dandelion. We just needed that kind of connection so much that even when it's not available, we will create it. Towards the end of our time there, for probably about 10 months, we met at my cousin's house every Wednesday night to play cards and talk about life. It was as close to a small group uh, as we got in our entire two and a half years living there. And it's literally the thing that we miss the most. It's really sweet. And you, you'll find it. Most of us. Most of us will find a way to find a small group. Uh, obviously, we can find the wrong small groups. <laughs> But what, but what we're trying to do here is we're trying to help you with that. We're trying to help facilitate that for you so you don't have to go and wrestle and, and try and uh, create that on your own. We want to help you do that. Uh, we've got 17 different groups, different emphasis, different things going on. So I'd like to think there's something somewhere that would interest you, you know. We want to provide that for you. Uh, our friend Labriska Ingles, uh, Ingles, she lives in Charlotte now, and she says, Andrew, I love small groups. It's the only way I've made friends in Charlotte. It's a big city, and Bree is not a timid person. But it's the only way she's been able to make friends there. And even though Campbellsville is slightly smaller than Charlotte, 
it's still easy to not make friends, no matter where you live. It's incredibly easy to not make friends. Small groups can help facilitate making these connections. Uh, let me let me uh, talk about a stereotype for just a minute. Um, particularly, I know guys in the room, when you hear me saying things like intimate settings and things like that, you probably have visions of sitting in a circle, holding hands, and singing cheesy songs, right? Yeah, sign me up for that. That's actually not what we're getting at here. Uh, we're not trying to force intimacy. We're just trying uh, to facilitate the, the opportunity for you to make friendships. And what we, what we see happen more often than not is that you'll make friends in group, and then you go out uh, later in these smaller sets of friends. And that's where the more intimate kind of stuff happens, you know. You build these friendships, you make these friendships in group, and then the real connections start having, happening, happening outside of group. That's actually how we know that people are really connected is when we see people hanging out outside of structured meetings. So, you know, our, our leaders aren't going to be, you know, taught to uh, stand before you in a small group and say, nobody's leaving until you spill all your deepest, darkest, you know, sins and tell me, you know, your innermost thoughts and feelings. We're not, we're not, that's not what we're after here. Uh, no, we're after for a safe place where you can make connections and make friends. That's what we want. Cool? Are you with me? All right. Um, all right, how are we doing? Okay. Uh, this is a really cool story that Kendall shared, Kendall Harden. Uh, again, talking about friends and how you know different things people bring to the table. She said one of her favorite things uh, happened in a group of about two years ago. Uh, they wrote out the dreams of their hearts, and they, they, like, they literally wrote out these dreams. And they've gone back, and they've just kind of uh, you know, evaluated, and about 80% of the dreams that people had in their hearts have come to fruition in that time frame. Really cool. And she says, I love being in a setting where you can really encourage each other in such a personal way to go after each other's dreams. And so you have this group of people that are so different, and they have so much to bring to the table, and you have this place where you can encourage people to, you know, to go after dreams and to do things like this. It's just neat, and it's hard to have. It's just hard to do that here. In a small group, you can do stuff like that. Uh, something else that I really think is significant about the small group setting is that it, it creates an environment that encourages reconciliation. This is huge. When you stay on the periphery, when you stay in the background, it's really easy when you're just looking at faces in the room that if the speaker says something that bothers you or offends you or anywhere along the way somebody cuts you off in the coffee line and steps in front of you, something that offends you, you're gone. When you're in a small group and you've actually started to make connections with people, it actually really encourages you uh, to fight through the conflict, to, to push through to seek reconciliation, to forgive. And it gives you extra motivation to, to try and make it work, which is actually a really good thing. My concern uh, for, for people that just um, that have a tendency to do that, to, to stay on the outside, get offended, leave, stay on the outside, get offended, to leave, is that it just becomes a really vicious cycle and you never really are able to connect anywhere. Because if you're only waiting till the first offense comes, how are you ever really going to be a part of a family? And that's why one of the reasons Adam says we don't do membership, you know, normal membership here. But one of the main ways we know you're a member is that you've been offended and you've chosen to stay. 
That's one of the big signs. You're part of the vineyard. Somebody said something that offended you and you just worked through it. Yeah, because when you actually know people, you know, every, everybody in the, in, the, in the face of conflict, you basically have two choices, fight or flight. And being connected to people actually gives you courage, incentive to fight. Fight for it. Fight for your community. Work through it. Forgive. Reconcile. Otherwise, it's flight. I'm out. And so this is an unintentional object lesson, but I'm going to give you something to think about. And in the process, I may offend some of you. <laughs> but if that's been the story of your life, stay offended or go to find a church, get offended, leave. Find a church, get offended, leave. Find a church, get offended, leave. Uh, then at some point, you really need to start asking yourself, where's the bigger problem? Is it with all these churches or is it something that I need to process and deal with? Obviously, there's times where there's like real significant wounds that happen and the best way to get healing is maybe to seek it elsewhere. But more often than not, we need to at least try and reconcile. We're people and we're going to wound each other. You know, sometimes uh, when that happens and you seek reconciliation, it's going to be cleaner than other times. You know, sometimes somebody will wound you and you'll go to each other and there'll be, you know, instant forgiveness and it'll, and that wound will, will heal in such a way you just hardly know it was ever there. Sometimes it's not that clean, right? Maybe the other person doesn't come to the table, but you're still treating it. And it's the difference really between leaving a wound untreated. Regardless of the other person's response, you still need to treat the wound. When you leave a wound alone, it's certainly not going to get better. And actually, over time, it's going to get worse. It's important. And being in, in these smaller communities, it gives you that extra incentive to actually try and treat the wounds. Seek reconciliation. Seek forgiveness. Again, big deal. All right. One and a half to... Move on. Um, another big thing about the environment of a small group is that it really encourages real personal encounters with the Lord and with the goodness of the Lord. Uh, we experience the goodness of the Lord in the house. We talked about it. We sang about it this morning. Uh, worship is great. You certainly can, and, uh, and hopefully most of us do, encounter the Lord in a personal way in the large group setting. But there's something about the smaller group setting that makes it even more personal that makes uh, the reality of the presence of, of the Lord sometimes even more tangible. Um, one of the reasons that is is because when you're in the big room, it's actually easy to dismiss what's happening uh, in, other, in, you know, in the rest of the room. And uh, I, I actually I trend a little bit towards skepticism sometimes, even now. I, I do. I do candy. I really have to check myself. I have to check my heart repeatedly sometimes uh, for that. Uh, and it's really easy to do in the big room. Uh, when you see people responding to the Lord, uh, you know, somebody gets healed. Uh, well, you know, maybe somebody gets a prophetic word. Uh, he just knew that guy. I don't know. I mean, seriously, it's easy to do when they're just faces in the crowd. But when you're in a group of, you know, 15 people in a room and you actually know these people, 
And you may actually know, okay, yeah, that person really did have a hearing problem. I know about it. And now they don't. And it's harder to dismiss the activity or the presence of the Lord in the room in the smaller settings. Sometimes you just flat out can tell when the Lord's in the room. Sometimes it's just easier to tell in the small groups. Man, the Lord is really here and he's really moving. So being a part of a smaller community can really help facilitate these kinds of encounters with the Lord. And question the often, uh, and it helps you to not question the authenticity of what's going on. Uh, here's, a, here's a good example of uh, supernatural happening in a small group. Uh, Labriska, I mentioned her a minute ago. She says, at the vineyard, I remember a home group at, at uh, your house. She was talking about Sarah and I. That changed my life many times over. I was brand new to the vineyard. I don't think I was a leader there in any way at that point. I think Dr. Ray was leading it. But I specifically remember a night when Adam was leading worship. The Holy Spirit came really strong, and Joe Hurchin got crazy in the good way. Hey, Joe. He was praying over people, and I was one of them. He prayed over my back to be healed. I had a lifelong lower back problem, and my lower back bulged out. We called it my butt ball. That's what she called it. That's Labriska. It's her words. When Joe prayed for me, I fell down. When I got up, my butt ball was gone. I was healed. Really tangible. I mean, like physical evidence. Now, if you're seeing that from across the room, maybe you can dismiss it. When you're three feet away, it's a little bit harder to dismiss. And there's something about being in that smaller environment that really invites the presence of the Lord. And some of Jesus' most dramatic miracles were done in smaller settings. Um, maybe, in my opinion, like the most dramatic thing he ever did was when he would raise you know, people from the dead. Pretty dramatic. Oftentimes, he would even have people leave the room. There was something about just having a small group of people who were on the same page, you know, with the same expectation and the same hope, and they were together. And there's something about that that really invites the presence and the activity of the Lord. It's not an insignificant detail. So these smaller group settings can really encourage encounters with the Lord. Uh, Something else is uh, the goodness of the Lord can become even more apparent in small group settings. Uh, Let me share this really neat story that Lori, again, uh, she's in the nursery, but a story that she shared that I think is just really sweet. Uh, She was at Tama, uh, Tim and Tama Markham's house. They had a women's group that was meeting there, and they were experiencing the Lord, and they were envisioning. They weren't literally like literal bread. They were envisioning doing communion, taking the Lord's Supper together. Just, uh, yeah, again, they were just kind of envisioning this. They were worshiping and experiencing the Lord. And part of, at one point, they were envisioning taking bread out of the oven to serve for communion. And later, they were sharing, you know, what had happened during group with Tim, who had been upstairs. And Tim said, oh, that's why I smelled baking bread in the house. Just neat. It's just neat. The thing is, and, and um, I think I mentioned this when we were praying for the offering earlier, the Lord, he's just better than we think. He is so good. I mean, that wasn't, you know, a situation where, you know, 20 people came to the Lord. That was just the Lord just being sweet to his kids. You know, he was in the room. And sometimes when you get in these small groups, you can really encounter the goodness of the Lord in a new way. <laughs> This is a great example. This is, uh, again, Dr. Samuel Yoder. This is funny. Um, I also led a weird group, (laughs) his words, I led a weird group hosted by a fellow named uh, 
Steve. I'm going to change his name to protect the not-so-innocent. Uh, a fellow named Steve. During worship on Sundays, he'd pace back and forth across the front of the vineyard with an expression of deep distress on his faith, face, both hands raised straight up the whole time. Sammy says, quote, Despite all my rage, I'm still just a rat in a cage, was most likely what he thought we were singing. <laughs> I think that's hilarious. <laughs> um, he, he, Sammy asked this guy to host his group. I believe Eric was leading worship for me, and I didn't even conference with him. Sorry about that, Eric. I asked, uh, I asked him all this before I really got to know him. He asked him to host his group before he really got to know him. I realized, <laughs> I realized I'd made a mistake when I found out that his roommate was a very hot, very lost uh, female friend who, of course, he wasn't sleeping with. And his DVD collection included the Girls Gone Wild series, which, of course, he didn't watch. <laughs> well, and this is the part that I really want to emphasize. All right, train wreck, right? Oh, well, despite all of that, I recall some really good God moments, even in that ridiculous setting. The Lord is really hungry to meet with us. He, really, he, he doesn't want to hide from us. He is so eager to meet with us that even when we make silly choices like that, that you would think would really prohibit him from coming anywhere near us, he's still willing to come meet with us. You get a couple of people, the scripture says, two or more, gathered in my name. He's going to be there. And there's just something so sweet about getting in these smaller groups that even if we make some mistakes along the way, the Lord still wants to meet with us. We're actually not disqualified. Now, we don't want to make mistakes, of course. You know, we, we want to choose better than that. <laughs> but, ooh, but, if we do, the Lord is just that good. He's better than we think. Okay. Dusty, this is really good. I'm just going gonna, gonna to share the last little bit of yours. I didn't get to share it last time. Uh, I'll skip to the end. Uh, Dusty was sharing a little bit about his experience with uh, small groups and learning, you know, learning things and and, uh, and just the, the whole process. And then he says, this is Dusty back there. Hey, Dusty. Lately, I've been, medita been meditating on my journey in those gifts. And he was talking about, you know, praying for people and some of the spiritual gifts. Uh, lately, I've been meditating on my journey in those gifts. And I've come to realize that the only real ministry school that anyone needs is a loving community who is dedicated to, dedicated to walking with the Lord. That's what I found at the vineyard, and that's what I realize I'm being equipped more and more each day uh, by just living life with people here. And small groups are an important piece of that puzzle. It's really good. Uh, just living life, uh, and yeah, and just with a community of people dedicated to walking with the Lord. It's really good. Um, so these are the kinds of things that you know these small groups can actually provide for you. And uh, I do want to quote, uh, again, talking about the goodness of the Lord and being able to experience the goodness of the Lord. Uh, in small groups, uh, Reinhard uh, Bonnke, uh, who's a pretty noted theologian, not one of our home group leaders. Um, he says some of the things that distinguish Christianity uh, from the other world religions are that in the other world religions, uh, we, you, know, you see that people, you know, they're, they're spreading their tables out, you know, their, their sacrifices and all the things they have to do. 
uh, to get the you know, approval in favor of their God. And yet for Christianity, it's the only one where the Lord is spreading the table out for his kids. He's coming to us. He's giving to us. He's not expecting us to earn from him. He's just that good that he's making the table for us. And the other thing, too, is, and along those same lines, the other world religions, people are having to just flat out pursue their gods. Again, earn their gods, but Christianity, our God is pursuing us. That is not an insignificant detail. He is that good. He is better than we think. All right. Um, Ministry team, come on up.